put us in your shoes a little bit of what it's like to live in a place where, uh, where faith is costly. About two or three weeks ago, uh, one disciple of ours was uh, actually put on trial for becoming a Christian and was sentenced to hanging. Uh, the normal experience for uh, believers is to be kidnapped, uh, beaten, tortured, uh, in attempt to make them recant their new faith. I'm, I'm curious uh, what that does for your faith. It has taught me in a very real way that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And I think God is doing some really big things right now around us, uh, not because it's we have some great strategy. In fact, we never intended to go start a school. Uh, we get to be on the front row seat to see what God is doing. Give us some, some stories of where God has shown up. One lady we call Tessain uh, had a dream uh, in the night of Jesus and woke up that next morning and said, I want to follow Jesus. And never had a missionary, never had a Bible. This was She just knew the dream. Was that unique, or is that do you hear that more than once? Oh, more than once. Across the Arab world, this is a normal way uh, that people are coming to faith. Meeting Jesus in a dream. Yes. Wow. Wow. Those that have been coming to Chapel Street for a while know that this is a, a, an Advent tradition that we have of supporting different global workers doing various things. And we've heard that the goal of, of 500,000 mm -hmm. will go towards this Hope School. Talk about the impact. If we were to meet that goal, talk about the impact you think it would have for the school, for the community, for the city. Just kind of tell us what you think could happen were all of this to, to take place. Yeah, very simply, uh, we have an 86,000 square foot facility that's brand new, but the insides are not finished. So we're using about 20% of the square footage that has been outfitted as classrooms. We are maxed out with 200 students, uh, but we have a plan that we could have 1,500 students. Wow. And so that amount would be able to help us outfit the entire building uh, in order to go from 200 to 1,500 students. This sounds like it would just be a game changer in that community, would it's it a not? It's a total game changer. Yeah. And it's nothing like it in, uh, we're in a city of millions of people. Yeah. There's nothing like it. In fact, really over the past decade, uh, due to conflict in the country, there has not been a full year of education. Is there anything else you, you wish our church to know? Any last words you want to leave us with? Yeah, just to be uh, very clear, you know, we've talked about how Chapel Streeters can get involved. Uh, obviously, the first one is uh, financially. And I would just encourage, I mentioned... Uh, this is an opportunity to stretch your faith. I remember when Carrie and I first decided we're going to go. We left our house uh, for a weekend, and we actually had people that do estate sales come in and like put price tags on all the things we owned. And uh, we came back, we approved the prices, left another weekend, and then it was just all gone. And, and something that we have learned in doing this is as we take sacrificial steps of faith, uh, our faith grows and we see God showing up in huge ways. And so as Chapel Streeters are thinking about how can they partner with us, uh, we have never gone wrong by taking faith steps, uh, sacrificial faith steps, and then seeing how God shows up.
Earlier this week, I, uh, each of the campus pastors, we had the opportunity to get together with Doug. Um, he's in the area for a little bit and, um, and just hear more of what God is doing where they're at. I think you, you probably can tell, uh, and we've said somewhat overtly, like we have to be very careful the way we talk about this. Um, as he mentioned, where they are at in Africa, it's, it's, um, it's legal for them as uh, foreigners um, to be Christians, but it is not legal for them to share their faith. And it is not legal for the um, um, uh, people of that country to, uh, to be Christians, as, as you heard him tell that story. And yet God is moving in extraordinary ways. Just like, so what you saw there was it's, it's probably a 30 or 40 minute podcast. It's our, for where you are podcast. It's going to be available tomorrow. Go listen. You, you will be blessed by it. Um, and, and, and hope school, what's happening there was never, God has, has brought all of this about and is doing so in miraculous ways. And they're kind of living there with their hands wide open saying, okay, God, what, what are you going to do next? And the way God has positioned them with what he refers to as people of peace in their country that is enabling them to do what they do where where people who are influential and people with power uh don't share their faith with them but yet are saying um hey they are under my protection they're here because they they see what is happening they see people being invested in they see people being cared for and loved on and that word hope is is a perfect description of the work God is doing in this country. And so if you, this, this Advent season, if you are able to give towards our Serve the World partner, this is something we do every Christmas time. Um, you can do that online. You can, you can do that in, um, uh, on the app. You can do that here in person. You just designate those gifts towards Serve the World and anything that you're able to do towards that, that goal across all of our campuses of, of $500,000 enabling them to go from space for about 200 to space for over 1500 would is is an incredible gift um, so make sure you check out that podcast uh, you will be encouraged and challenged by it I, i've told this story before um, and and many of you know have that know me have heard it at one level or another but i want to tell it again for for a a reason here this morning, but when Sherry and I were expecting our first child, um, we had decided that we weren't going to find out the gender. You might remember this. And so it was a disagreement between the two of us. She did not want to, I did want to. And so we did not. Um, and, and when we were at her, the last ultrasound, the ultrasound tech was asking us, do we want to know the gender? And I, I said, well, we're kind of in different places on this. She doesn't, she doesn't want to, I want to, so we're not going to. And, and when Sherry left the room for a second after the ultrasound, the tech kind of followed up a little bit. And I was like, yeah, you know, I lost this battle or whatever. And she said, well, you're having a boy. And I, that's exactly what I did. Like, I was like, why did you tell me that? Like, I, because Sherry was adamant. And so I did not tell another soul the entire rest of that pregnancy that we were having a boy. All, I would drop hints because my family is really good at having boys. Like, that's all we ever had was boys. Emma, actually, my oldest, is the first Moore born into the Moore family in 41 years. And so I was kind of like, you know, we're probably having a boy, but I didn't, I never said anything that I had any 
foreknowledge of this, right? So when Emma was born and the doctor hands me this little tiny baby, places her in my arms, and he said to me, he's like, Dad, what did you have? Nothing. I just looked at the child in stunned silence, trying to figure out, like, what went wrong kind of thing. <laughs> like, like, put it, and Sherry kind of from across the room goes, it's a girl. I was like, oh, it's a girl. Yeah, okay. That explains so much. And, and, and the reason I tell that story is because when, when the unexpected, right, when we have assumptions and expectations, when that breaks in, to our lives, right? It's disorienting. It, it leaves us kind of like dizzy and wondering where we're at and who we are and what's going on. And we experience this in a number of different ways. Now imagine if you can, being a young woman living in a, a small rural town in an area of your country that most people would only pass through called Galilee. You're engaged to be married. Your soon-to-be husband is, is currently working on his father's property to set up a, a home for you, the, the very place where you will establish your family together. You have dreams. You have assumptions about how your life is going to go. You're excited for your wedding, your, your friends and your neighbors and your family will gather and they'll celebrate your big day. And sure, it, it would, it's going to be a humble event. Neither of your families are, are wealthy, but nevertheless, every eye in Nazareth will be fixed on you and your soon-to-be husband. And then the unexpected breaks in. In fact, I think to call it unexpected is, is really a massive understatement. The unimaginable breaks in. This, this is the moment, and you are the person through which God is going to send Israel's long-awaited Messiah. Your people have longed for generation to generation for this announcement. You've been passing on hope from parent to child for hundreds of years. And now you are sitting in the middle of nowhere, right? the most unexpected person in the most unexpected place. And an angel arrives on the scene and says, it's you. You're, you're the one. God is sending his Messiah. The salvation of Israel is on its way. And he's going to come as a child. And you get to be his mom. Imagine the joy. Imagine the fear. Imagine the way every assumption about your life has changed in one single moment. We're currently in, in our Advent series that we've entitled The Spirit of Christmas. We've been looking at paying attention and seeking to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the events and an activity of the arrival of God in the flesh through the birth of Jesus. The passage that we're looking at, uh, oftentimes referred to as the Annunciation, the Declaration of, 
of the virgin birth, it's, it's marked by the presence of, of the Holy Spirit in these events. And yet as we work our way through this text, one of the things that I find so powerful about this is, is in these verses we see the fullness of, of the Godhead, the Trinity, all acting, all working to, to uh, advance the God's salvific plan. And we also see the fullness of, of the gospel therein. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. This is the same area of the text that we were in last week when we were talking about John the Baptist. If you'll remember that, I said it sort of John the Baptist and kind of the events around him sort of go back and forth between the announcement of his arrival and then a Gabriel coming to, to Mary. And that's the section that we're looking at today. So we're going to pick things up in verse 26. And, and like I said, we see the, the fullness of the Godhead at work here. And it starts with a look at the Father's choosing. We're going to begin by looking at the Father's choosing. This is Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let's, let's pause there for a second. We see the, the work of God the Father in the choosing of, the selecting of how he is going to send his son into the world and the person that is going to be the recipient of that. We all understand, we get, right, the, the, the ramifications, the implications of being chosen. Whether it's, you know, on the playground as a child when everybody is lined up and the two who are deemed to be worthy of captain right select from the crowd each person that they want on their team and you're just hoping and praying that your name gets called before the guy next to you right before you just don't be last that was my goal right don't be last don't be the last guy standing unfortunately that prayer was not always answered but in december 22nd 1997 christmas time i got down on one knee and i asked if sherry would spend the rest of her life with me you know, in that sense, when she said yes, like she, she picked me, she picked me to do life with me. So this is what we're experiencing here. What we're discovering here is the will of another selecting Mary, that sense of being chosen. There's a, a ton of theology that is packed into this encounter. And I want to just kind of highlight two, two elements that we see here that I think are important for our understanding. The first is this. It's the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God. If we had, if we had time today to comb through all of the Old Testament passages and prophecies and to explore the way that they pointed to this moment, to the way they're being fulfilled in these events, all that's happening in the birth of Jesus that the prophets looked forward to, I think what becomes evident, if, if we approach it with any degree of sincerity, is what becomes evident is that God has orchestrated these events in, 
in real time and real history, which this is important to Luke, right? Luke is, is, he grounds, he gives us details so that we know, okay, when is this happening and who was around? He orchestrated these events in real time and real history to accomplish his perfect plan and will. We talked about this last week when we were looking at the events surrounding the announcement of John the Baptist. But for the very moment in history where, where God proclaimed the, the consequences and the brokenness that results when sin entered the picture, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, from that moment, he said, this is not how this story ends. This is not going to be the final result. In fact, if you think back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is, uh, some look at this as the, the very first proclamation of the gospel because he's speaking to the servant, the, the, the serpent, the deceiver. And he says this, he says, I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is not how this ends. This, the sin and the brokenness, the consequence is not going to have the final word. God has been leading to this moment. And now Gabriel is sent to Mary to tell her it's you. You're the one. God chose you, Mary, to be the one through whom salvation is going to rise. He said, the Lord is with you. It's the sovereign will of God choosing Mary in his great plan of salvation. But it's also, I think, on display, it's evident in this second aspect, and that's a divine act of grace. A divine act of grace. Look at verse 28 again. And the angel came to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That word here is used twice in the text. It's translated as favor. This is, this is God's favor is his grace to Mary. The Greek word, in fact, that's translated as favor is the exact same Greek word that's translated as grace in other passages. So if you think about like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul writes, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. God is bestowing his grace, bringing his grace. This is the favor, her favored status is God's grace given to her. Gabriel greeting Mary in the Annunciation is that she has been chosen by the sovereign will of the Father to be the divine recipient of God's grace, the recipient of God's divine grace. So the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Then we discover the son's arrival. The son's arrival, look at, at uh, verse 31 now. This is what Gabriel says. He says, now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So now the angel declares, gives clarity to who it is that is arriving, how salvation is, is coming. I don't know if like you've ever seen like a royal court situation when um, a monarch or somebody like that enters a room, right? Oftentimes there's a, a caller who will announce who is entering into the space. And when they do so, they'll oftentimes recite the titles of that person. So before uh, Queen Elizabeth passed away, when, when Prince Charles would enter into a space, a royal setting, right? There would be somebody who would announce his arrival. And this is his title prior to becoming king. His Royal Highness Prince Charles, Philip, Arthur, Arthur, George, Prince of Wales, and then it goes into this, all these knight statuses that he's received. Knight of the Gardener, Knight of the Thistle, Knight Grand Cross of the Order of Bath, Order of Merit, Knight of the Order of Australia, Companion to the Queen's Service Order, Privy Counselor and Aide de Camp. Earl of Chester, Duke of Cornwall, Duke of Rothsry, Earl of Cherick, Baron of Renfro, Lord of the Isles and Prince and Great Steward of Scotland. Right? That's just impressive. Like, imagine the font size on your business card that you would have to have to be able to include all of that. But the point, the objective in doing something is we want everyone to understand who's walking into this space. And Gabriel does something very similar here. There's these, these qualifiers that define what's happening, who's arriving. He calls him Jesus, right? Which literally means Yahweh saves. It was, it was actually something of a popular name for children in that. As the Hebrew people, the Israelites, would, would remind themselves that Yahweh had not abandoned them and they would name their kids Jesus. But it, in this instance, it's describing his own purpose. It says he's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High, a very specific Old Testament reference to Yahweh. He will be given the throne of David and answer to prophecy, and his kingdom will have no end. Later on in verse 35, it says he is going to be holy, and he's going to be called the Son of God. And how is God going to accomplish this great plan of salvation? Who is qualified? Who has the ability? He does so by entering our experience. By, by taking on flesh, Philippians 2, right? He emptied himself. By assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity this is what's unfolding this is what mary is hearing the one who saves the one who is great the the son of david most high the one who will be given the throne of david whose kingdom has no end he is assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity and it has to be this way this is in fact the only way the greater has to become lesser because the lesser are incapable of, of making our way to him. 
Right? When, you're, when you are trying to explain something as an adult to a child, right? We don't ask the child to elevate themselves to our degree of understanding and awareness and information and all of that. Right? We, we have to approach them on their level so that they can understand. This is God himself approaching us on our level. He is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he does so by sending his son. The, the fullness of God in human flesh. And this leads Mary to ask an obvious question. How can this be? How is this possible? And this is where we discover the Spirit's power. The Spirit's power. Now in verse 34. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come, come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary asked the same question any of us would ask in this situation. How? How is any of this possible? She's, she's engaged to be married, but in that culture, right, you lived apart from your husband. It was, so you're betrothed, you're fully committed. It takes a divorce to separate at this point in their relationship. And yet that marriage relationship has not been consummated. That wouldn't happen until the actual event of the marriage. So she understands the implications here. How is this possible? Like her mom has had the talk with her. And the Holy and, and, and Gabriel says, like, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. There's, there's similar language used in the tabernacle. There's similar language used when, when Jesus is at the transfiguration, the presence of God. And again, what we're discovering here is that the Holy Spirit, right, does what he always does. He, he is the power of God moving to create life where there was no life before. She conceives a son because the Holy Spirit's power has placed life in her womb supernaturally and it's for this reason that her son will be called holy the son of god see that the, the this birth this conception is not like any other conception not like any other birth because this child is not going to be like any other human sometimes i think in in, in our culture the idea of the virgin birth is, is talked about sometimes even kind of in religious circles as almost like this passe notion that, that we are now sort of like at this degree of kind of sophistication and modern enough that we understand that this is mythology. And, and while we don't have time today to go into all of the theological implications of the virgin birth, I, I do want to say 
that I think this has tremendous impact on our view of, salva- uh, of salvation and Christ's ability to be for us a perfect and blameless sacrifice. Because the, the fallenness of original sin that's been passed from every parent to every child throughout all of human history is not passed to Jesus. Because his birth is not the result of, of human will. In fact, it rather, it is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit. To quote the early church father, Arrhenius, he says, If one does not accept the Son of God's birth from a virgin, he cannot accept his resurrection from the dead. And I think Gabriel says it succinctly. It is, For nothing will be impossible with God. He echoes that very same sentiment that the angel of the Lord says to Abraham and Sarah when when he tells her that Sarah is going to become, he says that same thing there, nothing is impossible with God. Which then brings us fourthly to, to Mary's response of faith. Mary's response of faith. If you had the opportunity to, um, to go through the live nativity, the first scene in there depicted this moment. It was, it was Gabriel arriving to sh- tell Mary that she was going to be the mother of, of the Messiah. And the power in that scene was you could see both the joy and the fear in, in the face of, of Mary as she's processing this and, and surrendering all of it. And one of the things I love about live nativity is watching and seeing the reactions of children but there was this one little one as she's watching sort of the fear and the wonder simultaneously in the scene, just kind of blurted out, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. Like you could see kind of the, everything that they knew and processed in that moment, right? And look at verse 38 now. This is Mary's response. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. I know that in various um, theological circles, there's varying views on on how we should understand and think about Mary. Obviously, from what I said earlier, my view and understanding from Scripture is that Mary is, is, she's receiving grace from God. Right? She she is, 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 in that way, she is very much like one of us. And yet I think sometimes in evangelical or Protestant circles, we maybe don't pay enough attention to Mary. Because I think she stands out as this incredible example of extraordinary faith to us. The posture that Mary takes in response to all that Gabriel has said to her is one of faith and surrender. May may it be done to me according to your word. And don't let those words just pass by. Think about the implications of what she's saying there. Her assumption in that moment was most likely that her engagement, that her her soon-to-be husband would break their relationship and divorce her with the assumption that she had been unfaithful. She would become, in her own community, an object of of judgment in the eyes of other, most likely scorn. She's in her heart and mind saying yes to taking on the responsibilities of raising a son 
without the support of family and friends and community, which in that culture, in that world, in every culture, in every world, that's difficult. In that culture, in that world, that's, that's next to impossible. Mary's obedience is the result of her faith. And she says, I trust you. My life is in your hands. I trust you. I said at the outset of, of our time together that within this text, we would see the fullness of the Trinity working for our salvation. And that we would see the fullness of the gospel being played out in front of us. Because it is that same grace that the Father extends to Mary is the grace that he extends to us. The same salvation of the greater becoming lesser that was accomplished in the arrival of the Son, Jesus Christ, is the same salvation that is offered to us. It is the same Holy Spirit that, that produces life where there was no life, that says in us, we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We were spiritually dead and yet we are made spiritually alive in him. And it is the same response of faith. That here's what God has said, what he has done, and says, I trust my life to you. I trust, I trust, it's all, it's all in your hands. To quote Paul in Philippians, I, I consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is what we see being exemplified to us in Mary. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the example of faith. We thank you for seeing the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the collective Godhead working to bring about our salvation, to extend grace, to be for us a, a perfect, unblemished Son who would become a perfect, unblemished sacrifice. That the Holy Spirit produces new life when we, like Mary, step out in faith. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us this morning. If you are new with us, do me a favor. Swing by the welcome desk on, on your way out. We have a gift that we would love to give you and just uh, to get to know you a bit. Um, learn your name or answer any questions that you may have if we can pray with you this morning our prayer team is available for that as well um, if you would like to give this morning our generosity boxes are, are by our two side doors whether that's to our, our regular general fund um, or if you would like to give this morning to our serve the world um, project that is happening in in africa um, we appreciate your generosity so much now receive this morning's benediction go in the name of jesus christ the one who arrived in the most unexpected way, the most unexpected place to the most unexpected person to be the fullness of God for our salvation. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.